it's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to Islanders Anxiety from the Lighthouse Hockey Podcast Network. My name is Dan Saracini. Joining me this evening via Zencaster is my friend Michael Leboff. And Mike, I was watching the Islanders game in Minnesota last night. And after two periods, I thought to myself, wow, this is going to be a pretty productive and lucrative little stretch of the road trip here uh, when they close this out. And uh, then the whole thing went to hell. And uh, so I blame myself because uh, the Islanders walked away, walked out of uh, St. Paul, Minnesota with zero points, but they did get two big, uh, two, four points and two big wins before that. So maybe I should ease up a little bit. Uh, yeah, I bet you you probably blamed yourself for something. Oh, yeah. That you did. <laughs> yeah, every, everybody listening probably had something that they did or thought or said, and uh, that's what caused them to, lo- to lose that game. The right. uh, Yeah, I mean, it's this team has taught us um, – not just a lesson in the NHL and hockey and on the ice, but also like kind of just generally it's like, it's okay to take a step back and try not to get caught up in, in the exact, uh, the immediate results because yeah, like last night that last 20 minutes sucked, but then you look at it from, I think it was before the Canadians game that Barry Trotz was talking about how, um, you know, that in the NHL, it's all about looking at things and, kind of like three game samples because you play three games a week and you win two out of three. And that's, that's kind of the goal. Uh, and to do it when you're on a, on the road is especially impressive. And that's what they've done. Uh, I think they're sitting with like a 600 point points percentage, which is really good for uh team starting on the road for the first 10 games and three more to come. But uh, yeah, the, I, the game last night was so much fun to watch too. Uh, and I, and, 
I don't think the Islanders deserved to be up. Uh, they, they were ahead for what fifty minutes maybe of that game. Right. I don't think that was indicative of how the game went. I thought Varlamov was on his head for a little bit. Um, and I didn't think the Islanders control play that much, but they did what they do when they don't have, uh, like the, the good thing was that they didn't control play. They didn't dominate like they did against Winnipeg, but they still were able to, uh, survive and get a lead on a mistake and then survive and then get another lead on a, on a bounce. And so those were good signs. And I think there's a lot, um, going for them still. It just sucks because, uh, yeah, it was close to this morning had the Islanders even got a point uh, from that game. And if the NHL was covered like any other sport and there was like ESPN shows or something in the morning, <laughs> like uh, uh, part of the interruption you know, or uh, whatever they have, it, the conversation would be, you know, the Islanders are just they're turning into a story. But because they didn't, mm. uh, they're kind of just ho-hum uh, right. doing yeah. whatever. Like- we'll We'll see. It's like the game never happened, basically. Right. <laughs> it's yeah. like, you know, and that's that's no disrespect to the Wild. You know, coming into that game, I was like, holy crap, the Wild are seven and three. Like, I didn't even realize that they were quite that good. I knew they had been pretty good, uh, you know, to start the season, but I did not realize that. But yeah, I would agree. I think Minnesota probably had the better of play, but, you know, it wasn't, it was a pretty even game through two periods um, when the Islanders had uh, two, two to one lead, courtesy of Anders Lee. Uh, and basically, uh, Simeon Varlamov who came back and, and, you know, he just basically picked up right where he left off. Like, this is not a guy who looks like he missed training camp. Like he just immediately stepped onto the ice and was doing his usual things. Uh, the goal that turned into the game winning goal was a little bit, uh, suspect. I, I guess the guy, uh, uh, I forget what his first name is. Is it? Ryan Duhame, I'm not even sure. I think it's uh, Brandon Duhame. Brandon Duhame. Okay. Yeah. Uh, he, I thought he had two goals, but apparently the first one kind of bounced off of Nick Bugstad and in, uh, which you know made it, which tied the game. And then Anders Lee on the two on one with Barzell. Barzell, by the way, was fantastic. I mean, Barzell was like a madman. Uh, he was determined to do something in that game to help the Islanders win. And God bless him. Uh, he ended up not really doing that. I mean, he ended up again scoring with Lee, and and he was fantastic. Unfortunately, I don't think you know they got the result that that he wanted. Um, but you know that that game winning goal, the guy was covered, and Ryan Pollock was on him, and he kind of flung it towards the net. It was a nice shot, and it just kind of went, I think, over Varlamov's shoulder, maybe or maybe under his arm, and that's when you knew mm, that was bad. The Islanders had been pinned in to their own zone for the most part to start that period. And that's when things just eventually went off the rails. And I'm losing 5-2, but two of those goals were empty netters. And even Barry Trotz said at the end, you know, it was really more of a 3-2 game. And, of course, somebody was like, you know, you guys are tired. It's a long trip. I was tired just following them on this trip, and I haven't left my couch. And he was like, nope, wasn't that. We just didn't weather the storm and and didn't do what we needed to. So he doesn't want to hear any shit about fatigue or tired. It's too early in the season. And, and Zidane Char basically said, kind of the same thing in his press conference like no we weren't fatigued we just didn't execute properly all right i mean that, that's fine i guess they're gonna do that but um you know it it had its moments but i mean ultimately it it didn't go their way and you know it is disappointing because boy had they come home with like you said one point out of that my god that would have been some kind of week <laughs> they yeah. had. it would have been great yeah that because they also like there were chances too to put that game kind of away sure. uh 
uh, yeah, Barzell missed the he had the the crossbar. Right. Uh, yeah. So, uh, was it Dumba saved something off the line from Palmieri? Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. They were just you know it was it was just like one of those games and uh, you just really hope that uh, you just really hope that it, it it's not a game that you think back to late in the season, but it's way too early to even fret about that. Uh, mm. But I was impressed with like a lot of individuals um, just kind of throughout this whole thing, and I mean we can keep talking about Ilya Sorokin, but we'll get to him in the next game. Uh, you know, I don't want to mm. bring him up before, the, before we right. start talking about the Jets game, but uh, it is like Varlamov was so good. And it was like almost comical that he basically was a like for like switch for Sorokin, uh, mm. who was basically playing at the, uh, a Vezina level for the past right. three weeks. Uh, I was like, Oh my God, like this is just too good to be true. And, um, and I thought that, uh, you know, like you said, Barcel was a man possessed. Anders Lee was having a good game. Mm. Uh, Palmieri, I thought, was really good. I thought the se- the second line generally, like there was a couple of shifts from Beauvillier that were awesome, including one where he kind of unveiled a new part of his game, uh, which he morphed into Matt Barzell for a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> and it, was, it wasn't against like, um, you know, Dan Girardi or anyone either. It was against, I think it was against Dumba or Jonas Brodin, like two really, one of those two. And they're both really good defensemen, whoever it was against. Uh, so it was a that was a really impressive kind of uh, stint there, and it's just kind of been the theme of the start to the year. It's there's a couple guys who are really bubbling, and you can tell that they're about to break out. Some guys like Wallstrom and Sorokin, I guess, have already broken out, and then there's a couple uh, players like Parisi and Palmieri who are just snake bit. Like yeah. I think the puck's just like just out of reach for both of them right now, and at some point. Uh, those will start going in and, and you can't not be impressed with what they're doing kind of in terms of everything else on the ice. Like they're, they're getting to the net. They're forward checking. Well, they're setting up play other players. Like they both had impressive assists, uh, I guess in the Canadians game and it's, they're not defensive li- liabilities at all. Parisi's killing penalties for checking. So this, everything is kind of moving in the right direction, but when you're a Stanley cup contender, uh, anytime you put up a, a goose egg in a game where you're up two one in the th- midway through the third, it's going to sting a little bit. And it, it sucked. Cause like I said before, like that, it was such an enjoyable watch. Uh, mm. and going back to the Canadians game, like the, the last, the first of this little three game stint, the first 180 minute, no 160 minutes, I guess were just a, oodles and oodles of fun to watch and then the last 20 kind of just left the sour taste in your mouth and I, I will say um that was probably and it wasn't a great game from him but also made me feel a little bit a little bit a little bit better about chara mm. was because i think at this point what he, what he did well was he just got the puck to the net uh and he, he the past two out of the past three games i think he's had assists and if he's just at least doing that um it's at least productive like because in the first two weeks he wasn't even uh doing uh getting rubber to the net or connecting on passes so once that started at least like at least he became sort of an asset uh and he's still got a good shot a heavy wrist shot i mean the guy's six foot nine so when he's throwing (laughs) anything anywhere it's gonna be hard uh so that that was also encouraging um less encouraging from uh Noah Dobson still, uh, I think he's, he's kind of like, like, as I was saying, like there's so many guys that are bubbling and heading towards the right direction. Then you got a couple, only a couple of stragglers, which I think if you look around the league is probably 
if you only have like two or three, it's probably better than most of the league, which uh, is good. Like it's just, it's hard to keep coming on and saying like, everything's going in the right direction uh, mm-hmm. because it, you either, it either you're going to cash in on it or it's going to fall off a cliff and you're going to be left to like rue the missed opportunities. <laughs> and you just hope that it's uh it's, it's the former and not the latter because, yeah. but we just won't know that for another six months. Right. And I think it's safe to say that Dobson had a rough one in Minnesota and uh, yeah, I thought Char was okay. And maybe he's coming around, you know, we've sat here and kind of talked about him. I told a friend of mine who uh, Scott Matla, who has a, a Canadians podcast. He also helps run uh, Habs eyes on the prize and, he was like, boy, Chara is just completely washed. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, kind of. And I was like, you know, he, he's basically the the kingdom of the crystal skulls version of Zdeno Chara. Like, he's kind of there. It looks like, you know, it's Harrison Ford still. He's still Indiana Jones. He's got the hat on. But eh, this isn't this isn't Indiana Jones. Like, it's, you know, it's an attempt at Indiana Jones, but it's really not. So that's the kind of version of Zdeno Chara we have here. But I, th- I do think in Minnesota, he started maybe to kind of show signs of coming around a little bit. Um, now, when you want to talk about impressive, uh, the win against the Jets on Saturday night was damn impressive. And I would say that that is hands down the most Islanders game we've seen so far this season. I mean, they won 2 nothing. Barry Trotz said that, you know, it was a little bit kind of shaky there because they only had a one nothing lead for for most of the game. But uh, when you look at the the sort of underlying numbers that is the most Islanders Islanders game of the year. Uh, they had, they were up seven to one shots early. Lee scored about just short of four minutes in. They had good chances throughout the first period. Uh, Sorokin made nine saves in the second uh, Parisi, Wallstrom, uh, Peugeot were everywhere. Then Nelson scores early in the third and kind of ices the game. And at that point they went into lockdown mode. That was when Barzell hit the crossbar. I'm sorry. I meant, I said that that, that happened in the Minnesota game. But uh, Barzell did take a penalty late. They killed it with little trouble. Nelson hit the iron, and that was it. 24 saves for Sorokin. His third shutout of the season came 24 seconds away from one in Chicago, came five minutes away from one in Montreal. We'll talk about it in a second. Um, and it snapped the Jets at game point streak. I mean, and the Jets are a good team. Like we talked about them earlier in the season. They're a good team. But like if you look at the underlying numbers of that game, high danger chances for... 15 for the Islanders, six for the Jets, like more than double. <laughs> That's what they do. Uh, expected goals for 3.07 for the Islanders, 1.59 for the Jets. Like when people say like, oh, I don't know how the Islanders do what they do. I don't get it. This is what they do. This is the game. And afterwards, I actually saved this. This is from Marat Attes, who writes about the Jets for the uh, uh, the Athletic. Um you know, he talked to Maurice and he said, you know, they get more D zone coverage than any time, any other team in the league. You'd think we're at seven minutes. We're talking about possession. It's not about the puck in the zone when the other team has it. So it's really not a high number. Their success is in controlling the net in the front of the net and controlling the slot and not allowing a lot to happen. That's what the Islanders do. You don't need to be an NHL coach like Paul Maurice to understand how it works. <laughs> you don't have, you get possession all day. It, it's all about the front of the slot. It's all about that home plate area. And the Islanders gave the Jets nothing for 60 minutes. Absolutely nothing. And uh, I don't think a lot of Jets fans enjoyed watching it, but I sure as hell did because that was that's the Islanders right there. I was like, man, bottle this and put it in the in the Hockey Hall of Fame because this is what the Islanders do. This is their entire game plan boiled down. They didn't hit, you know, they they probably, Trotz, I think, said it in the game, would have liked a little bit more finish, but defensively that's that's the Islanders game plan right there in a nutshell that's that one game if you ever want to understand it it's right there yeah it's probably the the game that 
um, made me sleep the best at night so far mm. this season. Right? Like, like just knowing, like, oh, it's still in their locker uh, <laughs> when they put it all together. So uh, it's just mesmerizing performance, and it sounds like such a simple thing too. Mm. Uh, when you because you think like Jeremy Collin had just got fired, and you think, why doesn't he just do have his team do exactly what the Islanders do? Because it doesn't seem that hard to do what Paul Maurice just said. Make sure that the puck doesn't cross the slot. Mm. Make sure that you win the battles in front of the net and give your goalie a good chance on as many pucks as possible. Like if mm. I to- I feel like if I told that to the players on teams that are just defensive tire fires, <laughs> like I would, they would, it, it sounds like it would work, but it's just a, that's naive of me because it's obviously really hard because every team right. looks to the Islanders um, as an example of it. And they're like, you know, we want to play more like them and we want to, you know, they, they have all these compliments to bestow on them. And uh, you just, when they talk about it, you're like, why aren't, okay, like, that's great. But why aren't, then why aren't you doing it? And mm. it just goes to show it's hard. Uh, and the Islanders are so, uh, you know, well-versed in it at this point, they're all kind of just entrenched in the system uh, mm. that, that they can win games almost like the, if the Islanders played 82 games with their eyes closed, I think they'd end up winning one like, mm. like, like cause they just know exactly where to be uh, at all times. And, uh, mm. and it also doesn't hurt that their goaltending has just right. been spectacular. Oh, yeah. Like I, we talked about it. We've talked about it so much cause you can't not, but the, this performance from Sorokin through the first nine games, uh, I think considering the stakes uh, and the scenario, like all of it, if you, you gave it all the context you uh, that it deserves, this is this guy's first full real full 82 game season. He's he played in all nine games. He played somewhere he's never been before in his life. Uh, And there, the Islanders quote unquote, number one goalie is hurt. And their number two goalie for the games uh, was a guy that, can't frankly just can't be trusted for an NHL game on a contender anymore. And one of those games was going to be on a back-to-back and, mm. and you can you put all that kind of stuff together. And then you throw in three shutouts, five dominant games total. I like guess what it was, right? Like what, what is yeah. it? Yeah. And uh, you just, and even the games that he lost to the, to the blue jackets, he was, he was spectacular for, for a long time. And it like, it's, one of the most impressive stretches by a goalie in in a long time, but definitely probably the most impressive to start a season, mm. I'd say since Chris Osgood, maybe, but even maybe even because like you think about Osgood, like you, you get him in the waiver draft and he right. leads the Islanders to an incredible start wearing red pads and a Navy blue Jersey, <laughs> like and, and, and a team that he probably was like, shit, yeah. <laughs> I'm playing for the Islanders. Now it's just on the Red Wings winning Stanley. There's Cups. definitely a documentary to be made about Chris Osgood's, like first year with the Islanders, basically. It's so good. It's it's one of my favorite things. I, I was watching before the Islander game. I was watching the Red Wings game because mm. they have such a great broadcast and he was on it in between. And mm. I just always want to hear him talk because he'll if, if you watch enough of those Red Wings games, you'll hear him talk about it right. uh, of like every once in a while. And I feel like just out of luck, I've heard him more than uh, – than I should have. And he'll just, he'll just like mention it casually and be like, Oh, you know, back when I was the, with the Islanders, we played, I played with this guy, Adrian O'Coin. And this is who, you know, this, whoever he's talking, but Danny DeKaiser reminds me a little bit of him or something. Um, and it just cracks me up. I'm like, I'm just happy he remembers it. And it just yeah. like, doesn't block it out. Uh, but uh, the, the going back to Sorokin, like this, there's so many, there, there's a, a lot of impressive stretches from Islanders goalies uh, mm. 
obviously like DPH has had a few Nabokov when he willed that yeah, team to the playoffs. Sure. Like, but this one, just considering everything, like the surrounding stuff, I mean, you can't say enough about it. And right. the fact that how many people around the league, everyone's talking about Shesterkin and everyone's talking about Thatcher Demko. Mm. Um, but this guy is just right. like, like I said, he's just like the silent killer. He just shows up, pitches a shutout, says one or two funny things in the post game press conference and then does it again the next day it's yeah. it's it's not he's not getting the fanfare at all no not at all and and um well first of all the, that i think the difference between you know the islanders getting this kind of performance from their you know the, their players defensively and trots mentioned this too it might have been after the winnipeg game might have been after the, the montreal game the players bought in you got to have players that are going to buy in and commit to playing this game and the Islanders got it right from the get-go. They got it. And again, if whether that's related to John Tavares walking out the door or Anders Lee being the captain <laughs> saying, we're going to do this and everybody basically listening to him, they got it. And so you get games like that game in Winnipeg where the whole team is committed to this and they shut out a pretty good team at home. Yes. The jets were coming off a of back-to-back, but you know, they, it, they just executed that, that game, their game plan to perfection. As far as Sorokin goes, I, 100% think you're right. People talk about Chesterkin all the time. Demko. Uh, Jack Campbell gets a lot of uh, ink. Yeah. Sorry, how could I forget? You're right. Who, 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 you know. Sources say that they're in negotiations for a contract extension. Well, even even Spencer Knight gets a lot of ink in Florida. Technically a backup. I guess he did whatever, you know, Memorial Cup stuff 100 years ago. It doesn't matter. I thought that after the game in Montreal, people would start talking about Sorokin because – that was another fantastic <laughs> performance. The Islanders ended up winning 6-2, but uh, you know they were up 5 nothing with five minutes to go. And again, it was a clinic. They did everything they normally do. And I, you know, my friends who, who follow the Canadians and I follow them, they're, they're lovely people, but they're like, you know, the, the Habs, they're getting possession time. They're just not burying any of their chances. Like, dude, what chances are you talking about? There aren't that many chances here. And the Islanders, and you know, every time the Islanders got a chance, they would bury it. Wallstrom uh, had a beautiful shot from the slot. Nelson backhand. Oh, what am I talking about? Brock Nelson had four goals in that game. He had four goals. Like, you know, this is Brock Nelson. <laughs> How does that happen? But the real star almost of that game was Sorokin. Like Nelson's four goals almost came sort of accidentally. Like he just kind of like showed up and, you know, ended up scoring, being in the right place at the right time. You know, I don't, I'm not trying to like, no, take anything away from Brock Nelson, but he was fantastic. And uh, they were up five, nothing with five minutes to go. They got a power play. Barry Trotz tried to get cute. He even said as much. He apologized to Sorokin afterwards. Uh, all of a sudden the lines are all jumbled. They give up. It was a shorthanded goal, but it came like at the last second of the power play. They gave up another goal a minute later. They have to pull their goalie, whatever. But like uh, that was another fantastic performance. And again, with five minutes to go, they just kind of let things go. And Barry took, kind of most of the uh the blame for it um but uh i would have thought that that would have been like people being like who is this guy that is now because this is really his first time through the league Sorok, because he only played the metro or the whatever the mass mutual eastern division last year but uh no i guess we're still gonna have to wait you know the other he's gonna have, he's gonna actually have to shut out the canadians before people start going who is that guy what's his deal i don't know it's yeah and it's it's funny because nelson has a little bit of that in him too where just all of a sudden, how old is he now? 31. People are like, this guy's one of the right. best number two centers in the league. I don't know why the Islander fans didn't tell us that. Like, I mean, we tried like, like people, people have been uh, talking about Brock Nelson being kind of just like a D 
decent middle six center. I mean, even when Lou signed him to the extension, people were like, ah, don't know if you want to be giving that deal to right. Brock Nelson. Like, I'll give that deal to Brock Nelson. I don't think you guys understand how, he's, how good he is. Uh, and because nobody was really paying attention to the team at the time, he just kept getting better and better. And uh, he puts a four-goal game behind uh, the Canadians. And the next morning, I was listening to NHL radio and uh, – they were going through like performances of the night. I think that was that the McDavid night. I think. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, so like everyone got anything. Was, yeah. <laughs> everyone was talking about McDavid and, and someone else had a hat trick. Oh, Bergeron had a four. Yeah, game Bergeron that night. A four yeah. And then the guy who was hosting the show that I was listening to, and I was only listening to for a couple minutes uh, during the segment. He was like, Oh, I can't forget. I can't forget my guy, Brock Nelson. Otherwise Islander fans will, uh, you know, come after me. Like, no, you can't forget Brock Nelson. Cause he's really good and scored four goals. And your, your job at this exact moment is to, acknowledge that that's why you can't miss you know forget to uh acknowledge brock nelson uh yeah i mean that it's funny like one of my favorite parts of the islander season and this happens has happened every year under trots is josh bailey either in the beginning of the season or two weeks in or something he just goes through a rough patch and barry trots decides you know what i'm gonna tinker with the second line a little bit and sometimes it's bovillier moving up or down or bailey whoever it is uh, and it always works because all hmm. of a sudden, like, it's like, Josh, you need to do that to Josh Bailey for him to like, kind of remember how good he is too. Uh, but that second line with uh, Beauvillier, Palmieri and Nelson has been really good since the switch. And Josh Bailey has been really good with Barzell and, and Lee, I thought. And uh, I love that when you think about those three players, Barzell, Lee and Bailey, You'd think that Barzell would be the one with the tinted visor, kind of like the flashy mm. look, but the other two have them. Uh, mm. And jo- Josh Bailey having a tinted visor is just always funny to me because who's who in the league has tinted visors? Alex Ovechkin, <laughs> Anders Lee, and Josh Bailey? Amazing. Just so, so, so funny. It's yeah. rare right here. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, was, it was like, it's like a kind of like a, like a, ace in the hole or something that trots always has he's probably like yeah is it now is now the time to, to kind of get josh bailey to start playing better uh i'll move him and it always works and so i mean like this is the point of kind of the first part of the show is that uh they're getting contributions basically from 18 out of 20 players a night uh which is pretty good or i guess 16 out of 18 a night uh and the, the fourth line's doing its thing uh i think we, you know, we talked about him a lot last show, but Cal Clutterbuck's having one of his better stretches uh, as an Islander uh, in recent memory. And, uh, you know, there's there's a couple of guys on the blue line that just haven't figured it out yet, but it hasn't hurt them because the the, the quiet assassin they have in goal. Yeah. So. Uh, real quick on Paul Mary, I'm glad you brought him up. Uh, he is totally snake bitten. And I think it might be the same snake that used to bite Jordan Everly every season. There's a snake somewhere in, I don't know, maybe somebody's suitcase or whatever. That's true. I can't say the locker room because they haven't been in the locker room, but it's the same snake that has bitten Everly year after year after year has now moved on to Kyle Palmieri. And it's going to be fun to see where him and Parisi end up at the end of the season. (laughs) I can see them both like Parisi having like six goals, 14 assists and it being, and you just being like, he had a really good season and everyone Mm -hmm. being like, "Eh, the Islanders aren't getting the production that they needed out of Zach Parisi. Like, well, He's doing everything else right. And I think it's going to be similar for Palmieri, but yeah. like 11 goals and whatever, 12 assists. 
uh, whatever Palmieri does in the regular season, he'll double in the uh, yeah. in the playoffs. So it doesn't really matter. Uh, okay. Uh, we are going to take a break and we're going to come back with our good friend and our special guest, Arthur Staple. We're going to ask him a few questions about the Islanders uh, start to the season. And we're going to talk to him a lot about his awesome new book, 100 Things Islanders Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. And uh, we're going to have a good time. All right. So uh, give us a minute and come back. Thanks. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Our favorite sponsor is VintageIceHockey.com, where you can find t-shirts, hoodies, and mugs featuring over 100 classic hockey logos, Las Vegas Thunder, Albany River Rats, Albany Choppers, some teams not from Albany. You can find them all at VintageIceHockey.com. They also have our Al Arbor t-shirts, and our portion of the sales of that go directly to the Center for Dementia Research. You can use the code Lighthouse15 to save yourself 15%. Go to Vintage Ice Hockey today and every day because they have all kinds of cool stuff. So check it out. Uh, okay, we are pleased and and thrilled, as always, to bring on our good friend and really our only recurring guest, Arthur Staple of The Athletic. Uh, we're going to talk to him about the Islanders, and we're going to talk about to him about his great new book. So, Art, how are you doing? I'm great, guys. How are you? Very well. Very well. Thanks for coming on with us, uh, as always, again, as our only recurring guest but there's nobody else we would want to have else on with us because you are the, <laughs> the the only font of information that we need uh before we get to the book let's ask some general questions about the islanders we're 10 games in right now uh you have been on the road covering another team who shall remain nameless yeah we don't need time. to talk about them right now that's fine. no we don't need to talk about them right now um but obviously you've you've been keeping tabs you've been to the games you've been on the zoom calls and everything and you've been observing the team as you always do um so like what do you make of this team 10 games in? I know it's kind of a general question, but like, you know, compared to starts they've had and maybe even where they finished last year, obviously, like, you know, what kind of trajectory does it look like the team is on right now? Have they kind of found, do you think they're coming to find their rhythm? Do you think they still need a lot more work? Um, you know, some games have kind of come here and there, but what, what do you think as, as you know, the person that watches more of these guys than anybody, it's closer than anybody. You know, I think they're getting closer to what, Barry Trotz wants them to be and what they feel like they can be. Um, you know, it's funny to look back at those first two games and everyone, not everyone, I mean, myself included, were kind of like, is this, was this the Islander team we're going to see? And it's, as it turns out, uh, those two teams have like given away three out of three points in 30 games right. or whatever, three points in 22 games. So if you're going to lose badly your first two games of the year, you should do it to teams that have, that have lost one time combined in regulation. So, um, probably a good time to work out the kinks. And I feel like they've, you know, I, I haven't run all of the numbers specifically, but, it, but I think 
kind of looking at some of the data and the eye test tells you that they're not quite there. They're not, you know, a, a couple of people that I talk to around the league, when they watch them play, they, they say this team is obviously a really good team and can be a cup contender, but not with the group that they have right now. And I think everybody seems to know that. And I'm pretty sure Lou Lamarillo and Barry Trotz know that too, <laughs> that they're going to say what they say about Zidane Chara or Noah Dobson, or maybe some of their weak spots up front. Um, and they're going to try to prop those guys up. But I think they know that this is a team that needs something. And, and Lou Lamarillo has known each year pretty much what they need when it comes to the playoffs. Two years ago, it was Sean Gabriel Pajot and Andy Green. Last year, it was Kyle Palmieri and, to a much lesser extent, Travis Zajac. And this year, I think the obvious hole is on defense and probably on the left side uh, in the top four. And that's not a complete knock on Chara, who I think has been a little bit better this week. Um, but I just think it seems quite clear to everybody that this is not a guy who can play 19 or 20 minutes a night anymore. And um, unless they want to shuffle the defense around, you know, just to me, it says they're doing what they can now to kind of get themselves stabilized and get themselves moving into the season. And it's not really the time of year where you go out and make major changes, especially a, a Lou Amarillo team. But I don't think you can win a Stanley Cup with Adam Pellick and Ryan Pollock playing on separate D pairs. That, that's the one that I keep coming back to, that you have one of the most effective shutdown D pairs in the league the last two years, and you're splitting them up because you can, but you certainly don't want to. That, that's not ideal. So for all the good things that they're starting to do, and I, and I feel like they are, they are doing some good things, um, you know, obviously starting in net with Ilya Sorokin. Um, and Pellick to me is is just about you know maybe eighty to ninety percent of what he usually is. Uh, and I think up front you're seeing you know Brock Nelson, Anthony Beauvillier, Kyle Palmieri, even though he couldn't put the puck in the ocean right now. Is those guys are doing good things? Lee is starting to round into shape. Barzal's had some good moments. The fourth line, like you guys were saying, uh, has been pretty effective since Matt Martin came back. Oliver Wallstrom. There's a lot of things to like right now. And I think sitting at five, three, and two through the first, you know, through 80% of this crazy road trip, if they can get three or four more points, I think you have to call it a success. And you have to feel like you're set up for a lot of success to come. Just how that's going to come with what they've got is the one question mark, I guess. <laughs> I wonder, do, do you think people around the league, I'm, I'm not overstating a five, three, and two start, like, but considering that, you're playing, they played 10 games on the road. The schedule, too, being as stop-start as it's been. Simeon Barlama being out. Um, starting 0-2 uh, against two really good teams. Do you think people around the league notice, and this is a, a loaded question because the answer generally when you ask, start start a question with, do you think people around the league notice, and then talk about the Islanders, the answer is no. <laughs> but do, do you think people around the league notice how quietly impressive this start has been um, because I, I was saying before the season, I think actually you might even said it on your podcast, like a five, five and three road trip, I think would be a success. I think 13 points is, is kind of the barrier from that separates. I think 12 points would be pretty underwhelming. Anything 13 or above would start to be a success. And, um, but do you think people are, have figured out that oh shit, like the Islanders are, they might have like a, kind of pedestrian-ish record, but this is actually pretty a pretty impressive stretch from the team. Yeah, and I think, you know, 
in the last eight, when they really started to put points together, the one game you can look at and say, that's the Islanders is the game on Saturday in Winnipeg. That was, that's probably the best team that they played of the eight after those first two. And they gave Winnipeg almost nothing in that game. And Sorokin was great, but that was, uh, that's a Jets team that was on a roll. um, That's been beating teams. That's been scoring goals. And the Islanders just, just, you know, smashed them down like a, like a gnat playing around and didn't let them out. So, um, and it's, you know, and I think everybody kind of, if people are paying attention, they're saying, oh God, it's the Islanders again, because that's the way they play. They take, you know, they take your will away. They do it and they make it hurt and they block a ton of shots and they frustrate the hell out of you. And you, you know, you skate around the offensive zone and skate around the offensive zone and throw 50 foot muffins on net, hoping to make something happen. And it doesn't, um, that's Islander hockey. And I, you know, I, I'm sure that seeing, you know, teams that scout them were probably seeing a lot more chances against, and maybe some opportunity to exploit them a little bit. And a game like that, when they don't let anything up to a good offensive team, um, it's disheartening. And I think that's kind of the way that the Islanders are treated around the league. It's a team that's not very welcome when they're playing well and you know is going to be there at the end of the year. So, um, yeah, I, you know, I think even if it had been, you know, three and three, seven and three coming out of the end of this, uh, I think you just have to look at the, at their individual performances and see they've got a goalie who didn't, maybe nobody thought was going to be their top guy who's playing lights out, probably should have five shutouts out of his, out of his 10 starts or his nine starts rather. Um, you've got their other goalie who should have been a Vezina finalist last year, who's just getting back in and will probably be back to form in a few weeks. And then you've got, like I said, kind of the usual cast of, of Islander characters who, you know, Brock Nelson, you know, up with seven goals and a lot of you know, five in the last three games and Anders Lee with three in the last two games. And Pellick's numbers are, you know, his, his underlying numbers are as solid as ever, whether it's with Mayfield or with Pollock. Um, those are their important guys. And if that's what they're doing right now, it's, it's not like it, you look to the top 50 scores. And if you don't see an Islander there, you're like, wow, they're really disappointing. Like that doesn't really matter to them. So <laughs> um, I think they're, I think they're in a good spot. You know, if they, even if they drop a couple of these last three games, the road trip, and then they've got a couple more days before the home opener, I think, I think they're moving into that phase of, of home heavy stretch. Uh, and a lot of divisional games too, with uh, with a decent amount of momentum and a good feeling. Yeah, uh, I'm interested to see how the uh, the home schedule <laughs> works out for them, because uh, uh, the road schedule I think has got to be getting a little bit tired for everybody uh, right now. Um, yeah, so uh, you know it's early, but uh, yeah, I think that all makes sense. I wonder, I wonder how sometimes how Chara feels about his performance, but uh, we'll get to that at some point, I guess, <laughs> <laughs> later on, because uh, I think he knows when he's given the puck away and you know, he's not dumb. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's been around. He knows. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, but we wanted to talk to you about the book, uh, which again is a hundred things Islanders fans should know and do before they die. It is available on Amazon. It just came out. It came out this week, right? But like pre-orders went out last week. Cause I got right. Tomorrow, uh, Tuesday is the official uh, release day this week, but uh, pre-orders of which there were a lot and a lot of great Islander fans who were, who jumped on it when we first, uh, when we first, everyone first heard about it or first saw it on Amazon. So, that was super rewarding, and and I thank everybody out there for for being so excited about it. And uh, I'm, you know, it, I put it together a long time ago, so it feels uh, it's yeah, the excitement right. is coming back around for me now. 
Well, that's my first question. So how did this come about? Because like, did, were you approached to, to write it? And, and were you like, oh, my God, how the hell am I supposed to come up with 100 <laughs> things to write about uh, for this team? Uh, yeah, it was, you know, at the end of, uh, the, at the end of the bubble season, uh, folks at Triumph who, this is a, the hundred things is a, is a pretty well-known series. There's been most, you know, they've done a lot of the, the NHL and a lot of other teams and college teams. Uh, so it's, it's pretty well established, but they hadn't done an Islanders one and there really hadn't been an Islanders book like this for a long time. So, mm-hmm. so there's a kind of a chapter of the 2010s that's, that's maybe hasn't been chronicled as much and that's. <laughs> luckily for me that the part that I have chronicled. So, right. um, yeah, it seemed like something fun to do. You know, the, the pandemic has kind of made reporting a little bit different and I felt like, well, I've been home covering a team for an entire, you know, for a few months, what's some more home reporting. So, uh, you know, and also luckily for me, a lot of the, the legends of in Islander history and some not lesser legends in Islander <laughs> history were very happy to talk and had lots of time for me. So uh, it came together really well. And, you know, research, internet, it's, it's, uh, it's a much different experience to, to look this stuff up and kind of find out some things about a team that was not my team when I was growing up. So I don't know a ton of the history, but, uh, but it was fun to revisit and fun to hear, you know, kind of the, the way the guys of the dynasty era talk about those days. Now, I think they remember some things maybe they haven't talked about because it just hits a little differently 40 years later. And that was, that was really fun too, with talking to Dennis Potvin and Brian Trache and especially Chico Resch, who is always entertaining to talk to. And then moving on to guys like Mark Parrish, who was a co-host of our podcast a couple of years ago and had some funny stories from his time in the early two thousands. And, you know, Pat Flatley, um garth snow even uh came out of hiding for a little bit to talk to me about the book which was fun Um, i haven't gotten there yet don't spoil it for me (laughs) (laughs) but uh but yeah it was it was kind of a you know weaved in some stuff that i'd already reported that i thought was was fun to to revisit for the book and some stuff that even i didn't know so it was it was a blast together yeah that that's the first thing i want to get to which is that like you know, I mean, there there are the broad strokes of sort of the Islanders' history. We all, we all kind of know how it the timeline sets up. They were good at the beginning, you know, obviously great at the beginning. Terrible in the middle. They're pretty good again now. We all kind of, you know, there's like that huge block of, you know, 72 to about 88 when, you know, Potvin and those guys started to retire. And then there's like a whole lot of nothing where it's like LaFontaine, <laughs> Palfi. Tavares, you know, there's really no, or I guess Pekka, Yashin and Tavares and that's it. Um, but what the book does is that it goes into these, these stories that, you know, we know about, but it adds stuff that I didn't know, for example. So like there's a, a chapter on Bob Bourne. Now, obviously Bob Bourne is a legend, you know, we all know what he did in the playoffs and, and his, uh, his speed and everything like that. But I did not know that when he got traded to the Islanders, which is one of Bill Torrey's kind of like very under, under the radar, amazing trades. He actually wanted to come to the Islanders. Like he told the the management in Kansas City Scouts, they were like, "Where do you want to go?" And he's like, "I want to go to the Islanders." Like, this was nineteen seventy four, right? Seventy three. Like, yep. was he the first player to ever say, "I want to go to the Islanders"? It seems like it. Who else? I think so. I I think so. I and mean, I think it had a lot to do with the Western Canada bent that the team. Yeah, that's what he had. said. Yeah, yeah. You know, he he and Clark Gillies, who are now. Uh, fellow you know fellow granddads because their their kids <laughs> married each other which is the greatest thing of all time um 
he uh you know he knew Clark Gillies from from playing against him growing up and and I think he knew Dave Lewis a little bit too and yeah. and Brian Trottier had already been drafted I think so you know these were I think he was just sort of looking for a place where he thought he could get in and play and he definitely picked the right spot and right. Uh, yeah just hearing you know some of those early 70s stories that I think are well known talking to Chico about kissing the posts in uh mm in Pittsburgh uh, when they came back from three, nothing down in 1975 and the, and the legendary story of Al Arbor saying anybody who doesn't want to, doesn't think we can come back. Uh, most people seem to feel like it happened in the dressing room. Chico swears it happened on the practice ice out in mm-hmm. long Island, wherever they practice. It doesn't come right straight to mind, but I think it is in there. Um, so it's just funny to hear about the interactions there. Brian Trottier, you know, having his chair in the weight room his first year at, at training camp and guys leaving one by one till he was the only one left. And um, just, just funny little stuff like that. Like this is, I think a lot of Islander fans certainly know the headline stuff and we definitely have that in there, but I think the the personal touches for me as a writer and a reporter are the most fun to find out about. And I think because we live in this age of Everybody knows the 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 major stuff. Uh, finding out the the minor details and spreading those out are, are are the most fun for me, and hopefully the most fun for people reading too. Mm-hmm. Right, right now I'm holding a, a DVD set of uh, the Islanders' ten greatest games. Uh, this is I, from I have that set under my desk right now. Where I'm it's, <laughs> and I just I just my favorite two are the the last two. You know, you got yeah, you got all the dynasty games and the Easter epic and uh, the game against the Penguins, and you get Bates. Penalty shot, and then of course, the legendary game where Al Arbor coached uh, <laughs> against the Penguins. Um, but which brings me to the point I want to ask about, which is like that the era of the Bates, I guess Bates penalty shot era, the the Yashin era, um, which I think you know you, you look at the fan base now, and it's 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 skewing a lot younger because kids growing up on Long Island are watching a team that is has been good and you know they're coming back and uh but there is like this part and i'm part of this generation this this group of people who were probably between 8 and 15 during the uh early charles wong and (laughs) sanjay kumar era and uh before he had to go to the clink um like what what story kind of coming out of that team uh kind of surprised you the most and showed you like that that maybe they we don't we don't we talk about them a lot, obviously, but uh, as a uh, hockey in general, doesn't really talk that about this team that sort of saved the franchise a little bit because if they weren't good uh, and they were as, they kept being as bad as they were from like 1996 through to the lockout, yeah. that that would have been a big big problem. <laughs> uh, so I, I, I'm really excited to read some of those stories if there was one that uh, or or a snippet of one that that stuck out from from that group. It kind of centered for me because I talked to most of the guys involved, um, Parrish and Eric Cairns and Steve Webb and Sean Bates all shared a house together in the 0102 season at Garden City. Uh, and uh, I'm sure anybody who lives anywhere near Wayford Terrace probably remembers that <laughs> because it was four hockey players in their early to mid-20s who probably made a mess of that place more. You know, like it, it was definitely a situation, even in talking to them, saying like, no, 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 I, this is a family book, but can you just tell me some funny stories? And they were like, mm, I don't know. <laughs> um, I think the, the best line about that, which is the last line of the chapter on that, is from Garth, where who spent a lot of time there himself, because I don't think he had any kids back then. 
and uh, that was his kind of Sunday football hangout, and he would show up there, and I'm sure lots of other guys passed through there from that team. And Garth said, "You never want to own a boat. You want to be you want to be friends with the guys that own a boat." So that was it. Was just the the hangout place. <laughs> they trashed it. They did a lot to it. They had a lot of fun, and it was, you know, to hear Parrish and Webb tell it, it made them all closer. You know, you know, when you think about Eric Cairns tuning up Shane Corson in the playoff series at the end of that year, he was defending one of his guys. I think he was defending Bates. He was uh, Bates was, was fighting simultaneously too. Right, he was fighting right. Darcy was, Tucker. So it was a whole, you know, these were, these were guys that were roommates and, and incredibly close, even though uh, a couple of them were, were, were pretty new to the team um, and certainly new to each other. Parrish had lived in the house when he was, when he was acquired the year before, when they were terrible. Uh, I think he lived there by himself. And then I think, as he put it, uh, Webb called him up in the summer and said, yeah, we're roommates now. And Parrish said, <laughs> oh, okay. Like, I don't think you're going to turn Steve Webb down. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just kind of spoke about, you know, everybody kind of thinks of that team as a little bit thrown together, which it was because it happened so close to the start of the season, whether it was Chris Osgood or Pekka or Yashin. And I, you know, and those guys were kind of the leadership of the team. And Yashin always has this image of being a little bit aloof. But I think the core of that team became tight really quickly and it reflected in how good they were right off the bat and, and talking to Peter Laviolette for a little bit like I did and how he came in and kind of, you know, he was sort of, uh, you know, second choice a bit or third choice to be the coach and people didn't really know what to make of him. And he came in and, and they were just, you know, that's, that's the fastest starting team in, uh, in non dynasty, maybe even in dynasty history, the nine, one and one start. And, and uh, it really propelled them to uh to what could have been an incredible run it it, it the parallels to me to, to 2014-15 are, are pretty stark because if they had just maybe picked up a couple more points and been able to have home ice in that series the way that they didn't get it by a shootout goal in 2015 things could have been a lot different that season that that fight story reminds me of another great story in the book where Pat LaFontaine talks about taking a penalty in like his first or second game. <laughs> He's in there with Bob Nystrom and Nystrom tells him, you know, when the penalty's over, just keep your head down and just go right back to the bench. And he's like, yeah, okay, no problem. So he does it and he gets to the bench and he turns around and Bob Nystrom is absolutely obliterating the guy who like hit him or something like that. And he's just like, oh my God, this guy's on my team now. Oh, thank God. You know, so I thought that was really cool. Um, of you know, you're probably going to get this asked this question a million times, but like, is there something that, you know, it's, it's one thing to surprise us. Cause like we're fans, but like, you know, you're, you're in on it. Like, is there one thing you learned that really like blew your mind or somebody you talked to that like told you a story that just completely, you know, like, I don't know, reoriented how you thought about an aspect of, of the Islanders franchise history. Cause I mean, a lot of these guys, I mean, like you said, I mean, you've covered the team throughout the last, you know, 10, 15 years or so, but like a lot of these guys are before your time, maybe when you were just a fan. So like, this might've been your first or second time actually getting to talk to them and ask these questions. Like, did, did anybody ever say anything that was just like, holy shit, are you kidding me right now? <laughs> <laughs> it was fun to talk to to Pat LaFontaine and, and Brent Sutter about, uh, and Brian mm. Trache about the Easter epic. That was kind of the first, Pat was the first guy I talked to. So that was kind of the first one that I put together. And, uh, I, you know, that was a game I remember watching as a kid and I wasn't an Islander fan, but it was still, you know, I was 15 years old and I was staying up until whatever, two in the morning <laughs> by myself watching a hockey game, which what could be better than that? Right. And, uh, and just hearing about some of the details, you know, uh, 
the equipment guy rubbing Pat LaFontaine's shoulders but right before the shift where he scored saying, you're going to pop one in here, Patty. And it's just kind of like, I feel like that's that can be a little bit more lore than realistic. But I think guys were kind of hallucinating a little bit by that yeah. point. And, and Brent Sutter uh, behind the bench, he was hurt. He wasn't playing. So that was kind of his first time coaching, um, which is always fascinating to me that in 1987, if you had a star player or a captain, and he was out. It's like, yeah, come coach with us. Like yeah. that would ever happen today. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and and Brent, who's a, who's great to talk to, um, just talking about his experience with Bill Torrey and with Al Arbor and the day, you know, the day that he and LaFontaine were both traded a few years after that, which is amazing to think that they basically severed all ties with the dynasty era in 19, you know, at the beginning of the 91, 92 season and kind of, you know, aside from the great run in 93 was really the last the last really great moment of having some some great players, even though the return for LaFontaine was good and the return for Sutter was good because they got Steve Larmer. Um, Steve and Thomas. just hearing that, Steve Thomas, sorry. Um, <laughs> and uh, and just hearing that, you know, Al Arbor calling Brent Sutter into his office and them both just sitting and crying because they knew that it was over. And, uh, and just hearing about Al and, you know, I always hear, you know, hearing from guys like Jake McDonald that, Al was, you know, you couldn't, you couldn't be seen as a, as a softy, as it no, not to call Barry Trotz a softy, but just that kind of personality just didn't work as a hockey coach back then. But Al knew everything that was going on. He, you know, his, uh, his wife was, was allowed in the player's wives room. So they, you know, they, he always knew if someone had family in town or there was a baby on the way or someone was sick. Um, he just, you know, he, he was a, he was a full proper coach uh he wasn't just a guy who who fired off one-liners of which he had several um <laughs> but it just you know the i think i met al arbor once when i was first starting out and i met bill tory a couple times in the press box in florida you know people like jigs were off were nice enough to introduce me to him but but to hear hear about them in their primes is uh was really fun to hear about because you know the fact that we're that they're, they're both gone within the last you know, seven, eight years and, and it, all we have left are the stories. It's it's nice to hear from the people that they cared about a lot who cared about them and, and kind of keeping their legacies alive. I, I have a question about the building too. Because, um, you know, I'm actually watching out of the corner of my eye watching the Capitals and Sabres and thinking, you know, the, the Coliseum is, is so much a part of Islanders lore. I think you think about the Capitals. I can't name the building that they used to play in in the Easter Epic, or and I just know now it's whatever the, the MCI, Cap the Cap Center, Cap yeah. Center. Landover, right. Landover, Landover, Maryland. They, and but you know they, these these buildings that teams used to play in. I think you know they they were bigger characters in when uh, the '90s or '80s or whatever. But so many teams and so many sports owners realized like there's so much money to be made by kind of updating buildings and and getting into a new shinier one so most teams figure that out a lot earlier than the islanders did um so thinking of the coliseum like was there a, a a story about the building itself whether it was the uh you know maybe the concrete being poured into the toilets or something uh <laughs> what that that you had never heard uh before uh that that got mentioned in the book or even couldn't get mentioned in the book <laughs> <laughs> you know it's funny i it writing it before the last season of the Coliseum and before really uh, UBS was fully ready to go was a little bit of awkward timing just because 
the nostalgia for the Coliseum hadn't quite wrung itself out. Um, and there really was nothing to say other than kind of the, the, the hype part of, of UBS, because even when I was putting it together, the, any tours or the, the video of it was pretty, was pretty raw. Cause it was still just kind of a Hulk, uh, you know, a, a shell of it, of what it's become. So that part was a little, was a little dicey just putting it together. And it's, you know, I wanted it to be the book to be as comprehensive as possible, but sometimes circumstances can change it. You know, we, the, if they had gone on to win a Stanley cup last year, obviously would have changed it in a, in a pretty dramatic way, but yeah. Um, I'm sure I'm going to get some comments that like, oh, you know, the last season of the Coliseum is only chapter 99. It's like, well, that's the one we could we could slide in there once the book was already, was pretty much already ready to go to print. So sometimes the realities of publishing uh, knock heads with the realities of, of how the season goes. So um, there wasn't a lot. You know, I, I just think a lot of the guys uh, that I talked to, their memories are all pretty much the same. You know, the 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 same guys that they saw that work there and you know ushers and and I think the part that maybe was was missing a little bit was was a, a more of a fan perspective but um but it just you know sometimes there's so many fans that have so many great stories of being there you yourselves included especially you Mike I know that's uh that's a place you snuck into more than any other building on earth so um yeah it's it's just it's hard to encapsulate when it's kind of winding itself down. And I, and I felt like uh, there's definitely some good stuff in there about, about the building and kind of the, the Genesis from start to finish and how, how the guys felt about playing there, whether it was in the early years uh, with, you know, with the fans right on top of you to, you know, guys like, you know, from the 2013 team who had never been to the playoffs before and who could feel the energy of the building, you know, of a noon playoff game the for you know the first game back there in many years um so you know it's 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 a little tougher be in the modern era to really to really encapsulate it but uh but it's you know it's such a special place and and it feels like the book coming out after such a raucous conclusion to the building it's uh you know i think and it's so nice that everybody that's a fan now got to experience another great playoff run there um, may not be captured in the book, but at least it's sort of captured in people's immediate memory. Dan, Dan and I have been trying. I'm, I'm basically me, but <laughs> there's one very elusive character who's an Islander legend that nobody seems to be able to track down. Um, and I want to know if you tried and if it was successful or not. Wade Dublowitz. I can't find the <laughs> guy. We want to talk to him because I don't think he understands how important he is to not just he, me, but but a generation of Islander fans. Um, so I, I had, want to know if if he or his teammates understand how seminal a moment that was. I had you in mind when I put that chapter together because I, it did get its own chapter because it was such a, it was such a light in the darkness of the, of the 2000, <laughs> you know, the kind of the post lockout era. Um, but you no, know, I did not, I was not able to track him down. I was, you know, a lot of the, the quotes I had from him were from, uh, from the coverage of that season. And uh, I did reach out to him. He is, he does he is accessible there is a number out there for him that i have but uh but i didn't get a response back mm. I, I don't i don't know that he wants to be defined by that one little stretch uh even though that was kind of his his nhl glory um but uh but yeah i thought you were going to say ziggy palfi who also yeah. would have been <laughs> hard to find or or Mar- marius Tchaikovsky, who has been back for an alumni uh right. weekend but 
uh, but also is kind of famously hard to hard to track down. Um, I, I think I think Wade Dubovitz knows exactly what that that means, which is why he doesn't come out of hiding because he knows that <laughs> there's an army of mics out there that are ready to like <laughs> just just descend upon him. Yeah. Like yeah, uh, you know. It's, it's funny because you know Doobie and I have the same haircut now, so I, you know, if we saw each other, <laughs> that is true. It would be, yeah, it'd be very much uh, almost like a doppelganger situation. And but yeah. I, I mean, it's I that that run was just so incredible, and it was it. People always talk about you know Ryan the Ryan Smith thing, uh, and in that in that four game run, and I just really want him to know because. You, you think about it as an athlete, right? Like getting bounced in the first round of a playoff series four one by the best team in the the league that season is not anything to write home about. But uh, getting to that point was was such a wild, circuitous journey that I don't know. I just don't hope he doesn't underestimate how much he means to to this fan base. And I I, I truly believe that if he came out for an alumni night, he would probably get uh, perhaps the loudest ovation of of maybe anybody uh because of all the you know the doobies out there oh yeah oh they play a video and everything oh. but uh i was saying before we started this that one of the things i love about the book so much is that it doesn't follow that timeline and so you read stories about guys in the, you know the dynasty and then you'll read about you know way dublowitz and then you go back to like you know chico resh 1975 and then it's like Tavares leaving <laughs> a couple of years ago the, the the i gotta tell you the uh I had completely forgotten about the John Ledecky listening tour until it came up in one of these chapters. And I was like, Oh man, that's right. What happened to that? That was crazy. But apparently it was not well it received around the league. It was, not, to me. it was, it was not, but I think we can all look back now and say uh, whatever <laughs> plan they had in place worked out right, quite yeah, well. So, exactly. so you wouldn't want, you wouldn't want it to have been experienced any other way. Right. But, uh, but yeah, no, it, it is really great. And, and I, again, I get, you know, Islanders fans, they have long memories, or even if you're a younger fan, you have a dad or an uncle or a brother or a neighbor or whoever that's told you these stories a hundred times. But I promise you there's stuff in this book that you don't know. And again, for me to like, I'm like, Oh, Bob Bourne has a chapter. And I'm like, wait, hold on a second. He, he wanted to come here. Oh, and then the Ken Morrow chapter come right after him. It's like, wait, he won a gold medal and then was playing alongside Dennis Potvin within side of a week. Like what? <laughs> How did that I know. happen? <laughs> it's just like that's a crazy week like who you know that's insane and then it, it hit him too like you know he retires and then he's like an assistant coach and then he's like nope now he's a, a director of amateur scouting and he's been there for 30 years so like you know this these things oh and I, sorry one other great chapter i love was the the talking about the different practice facilities now i don't think <laughs> islanders fans understand this but like the islanders have one of if not the nicest practice facility in the entire league at northwell health that was not always the case and if you've ever been to Iceworks, <laughs> you will not forget it because it's literally like a BJ's that has been completely gutted and somehow has an ice rink inside of it. It is not a fun place to hang out. But the Islanders practice there for 100 years. And it's like it's little stories like that, that they, they create this sort of tapestry, like they create this sort of quilt of what the Islanders are. And like this book, more like, I mean, I have a library of Islanders books. There's not many, <laughs> uh, but I try, I've tried to collect them all. I should have taken more from Stan Fischel's office when I worked there. I, I wish I had at the time. <laughs> but, uh, you know, they, they again, they create this timeline, but they don't create this sort of tapestry of what makes a team what it is. And, and again, you're writing it at a time when all of these things have kind of come together and now UBS is opening. So it's really nice to kind of like read all of them together and you really get a fuller, a much fuller sense of what this team is like and what it's like to root for this team in a book like this, as opposed to the sort of like, 
you know, here's what happened this year, the next year, the next year, the next year. Yeah. Well, that part was, it was, you know, that's a, that's an editorial decision that was, <laughs> that was made above me. And I love it because it's, you're right. It's, you know, we, the, obviously the dynasty era and the, the buildup to it comes very early on on the birth of the Islanders with Roy Bowe and, and his mm. failures and, and John Pickett. Um, you know, that, that stuff is, is, feels like long ago history, but it's super important. And then you get into some of the, like I said, some of the details and, and uh, one of the more fun chapters put together was one about Joanne Hollowa, who's, I believe right now, the longest serving Islander employee. Bill Torrey brought her in right before the first Stanley Cup, uh, basically as his assistant, uh, what we probably they called then a secretary. And now she's the manager of hockey administration and has worked mm -hmm. for every GM the team's ever had and knows where everybody is buried and never says, <laughs> says a word and, and used to yell at me uh, when I would say I was going to write a story about her many years ago because she's so essential to it. And really, the, the again, Garth, you know, with the telling quote when he came in, obviously is a pretty inexperienced GM and leaned on her a lot. Uh, after a while, he was there. It said the, the really the most common phrase you heard if they were going to do something was run it by Joanne first because mm. she knows every every guideline every rule in the nhl book she knows people to call to get expedited visas she knows everything and uh barry Trotz, think, barry Trotz has dropped uh you know Joanne. he has Ask her, yeah. he has he has and i think that you know it, it's funny because you know it, she she worked through an era when there were probably no women in any front offices right. anywhere and she's worked there for 40 plus years and seen all the things that we, I tried to chronicle in this book, um, you know, she would be able to write 10 books like this and it, they'd be fascinating. But uh, I think, it, and there's a quote in there from, from Bill Torrey before he passed that said, uh, I would never want to read a book about the Islanders, but if Joanne wrote one, I'd read it. So um, <laughs> the fact that she's still there now and, uh, right. and still kind of keeping the, helping keep the engine running is uh is a fun, neat thing. And I think she's not somebody that a lot of people know about. So that's uh, the fact that we put that one kind of right in the middle of the book and right around chapter 50 is uh, is a good, is a good point because she's kind of the, you know, the core of the, the Islanders. And it, that's really the, the core of the book to kind of keep you going into some of the more interesting stories. Man, <laughs> I would love to, just uh, imagine working for Al Arbor and Bill Torrey and then winning a dynasty. And then 20 years later, the, backup goalie is the gm after <laughs> after working after working after working for mike milbury for a yes, decade. Exactly. Well, i was gonna say yeah, exactly don maloney is the yeah. gm what the hell like, how the hell did this guy get here like, this is if you lined up the uh the the gms and in, in like a what do you call it like a identity line or whatever you call when you're hmm. trying to figure out who the suspect is these guys were <laughs> just going from lou to to milbury with garth sprinkled in and God, I thought when you were you mentioned uh, Trottier and, and Lafontaine, I thought you were going to ask them about when they were all part of that that committee that uh, Charles Wong oh. had assembled, <laughs> where it's like we have we have Garcino, the GM, and then we have his you know this or no it was uh, I guess Neil Smith the GM, yes, and then we got Smith, the, uh, right. the the yeah the four uh, the four uh, horsemen over here who will also sort of be GMs. But yeah, it's, uh, when when they get a group of four together to try to run something with the Islanders, it, it doesn't <laughs> yes. work. I hope yes. I hope everybody knows someone that goes to jail. That's the equivalent of thirteen. It's the unluckiest Islander number when it comes to just making decisions. <laughs> uh, I that that is one hundred percent true. And you can find <laughs> out more about that in the book 
100 things Islanders fans should know and do before they die. Oh, yeah, there's stuff to do in here, too. Uh, like watch the 30 for 30 about John Spano. One of them is go to a Rangers game and, you know, laugh at the chant. With all due respect, I'm going to stay out of the Madison Square Garden. But you are right <laughs> that there are a lot of Islanders. Like, you know, things – that's another thing, too, I hadn't thought about. Like, you know, the Islanders guys always talk about how when they first started playing at the Coliseum, like it was all Rangers fans because that's who was out on the island. But things have stabilized now, and there's an awful lot of Islanders fans going to MSG. So, I mean, it's probably not nearly as dangerous as I like to make it out to be. But <laughs> so I'll pass. But, uh, but there's all kinds of stuff like that, and you should check it out. And if you haven't ordered it already – you can get any time on Amazon.com and it'll come right to your house and uh, you will enjoy it. I promise you. Um, so uh, before we let you go, I mean, you know, what's what's on the horizon at the athletic? I mean, we joked earlier at the top, things have changed a little bit, but uh, I mean, you're still writing about the Islanders and is there anything kind of uh, on the horizon that we should be on the lookout for? Yeah. You know, my, my job has changed a little bit, which is kind of funny timing considering this book is coming out and it's the first <laughs> book I've ever written. And now I'm, you know, trying to straddle two fan bases that, uh, that certainly don't like each other. Um, I'm getting some justified discontent from, from fans of both teams. It's a different situation. Change is a little scary. This is the first time uh, I'm not primary, you know, I'm not only covering the Islanders in about 12 years. So um, that's a lot of time spent with one fan base and one team. Um, but there are, there are some changes coming. We're kind of in, in flux right now. And I think in a few weeks we'll have some things sorted out, ready to announce that will make fans of both teams really happy. And I think, uh, keep the level of coverage as high as we've had it before. It just might be some different names on different stories. And I hope everybody can roll with it and enjoy the season and enjoy what we've got coming. Cause I think it's going to be great. For both mm. brand, both fan bases, especially Islander fans, because I'll still be doing a podcast and still be uh, writing some on the Islanders, but we will also have a second person who will be doing a lot more work on the Islanders. So well, that's go. all I can say for now. But I think it's going to be something that everybody likes. We're getting close. We're getting close to the Leafs treatment where you get eight eight beat writers. My God, yeah. the more the merrier. <laughs> yeah, uh, you gotta. I have to ask. So you know, you're getting a lot of stick, which is it, it from an outsider it's been kind of funny to watch has has <laughs> on a percentage basis how many of these replies when you tweet you know that Shisterkin makes a save or whatever uh ha- have actually made you laugh or how many of them are clever because uh it seems like you know one or two maybe yeah yeah it's hard to be funny on twitter it really is <laughs> that's that's to me the, the that's always been kind of the way I feel about it. And, and you know, I understand that there's Islander fans that are like, it's not something to joke about. This is the team that they, <laughs> this is the team that they love and they don't want to mess around with what they've got. So, um, uh, it, it's not always humorous, but, uh, but I think certainly when I was tweeting about the Ranger game, when I was in Calgary on Saturday, they got their doors blown off, got, uh, got pantsed by Matthew Kachuk where they got pants by Connor McDavid the night before. Um, I think some Islander fans enjoyed that, but yeah. uh, <laughs> so if, I, I do know that there are a lot of people who hate follow certain writers, whatever, mm-hmm. maybe it doesn't always happen in the sports world, but maybe some Islander fans can do that. And, and uh, Ranger fans can do the same, but, uh, but in general, it's, uh, it, it's been some frustration more than anything else. And, takes a little getting used to but like i said i think uh, i think in a few weeks we'll have everybody sorted out 
Uh, as I told you when you first announced the job change, I would read about the Rangers, but only when the bad news happened. So I did not read about Adam Fox's contract extension, but I did read about them getting pants by Connor McDavid because that was a <laughs> lot of fun. So I think you're right. <laughs> Your instincts were correct in that. But uh, this has been great, Art. Thanks so much for coming on with us. Uh, good luck with the book. Um, you know, B- Bad will- luck with the Rangers. Bad luck, good luck with the, the Islanders. Yeah. Good luck to you, but bad yeah. luck to them. Good luck with the book. Yeah. Bad luck with the Rangers. Good luck to you. Good luck to the Islanders. <laughs> I think that about covers it. Uh, but uh, And we'll get you on uh, later on this season to talk about uh, where the Islanders are uh, after a bunch more games. <laughs> Hopefully home games, too. Awesome. All right. Thanks, guys. I Thanks a lot. I'll talk to you later. So long. All right, bye. Thanks again to Arthur Staple of The Athletic for coming on with us and talking to us about his book. You should definitely go out and buy it today. Uh, Okay, so the Islanders have a bunch of days off, and then they have a game against the New Jersey Devils on Thursday, and then they head to Florida where they take on the Lightning uh, on Monday, and then the Panthers again on Tuesday, I guess the first repeat of uh, the road trip, the only only repeat of the road trip, and then they will open up on the 20th at UBS Arena against Calgary Flames. So... Uh, just real quick, you know, the Devils are a plucky team. You can't let them up off the mat for a second. No, they don't have Jack Hughes. Uh, they announced today that Miles Wood is out indefinitely. They lost Scott Wedgwood uh, waivers to the Coyotes. I guess Mackenzie Blackwood and Jonathan Bernier would go ahead. You know, it's a trap game. The Islanders need to come out and do what they got to do and take care of them. Um, assuming you get two points out of there, which again is a big assumption, but let's, let's say that they do, uh, I feel like if they get any two points out of Florida, they're okay. If that's two two overtime losses, you beat the Lightning, you lose again to the Panthers, maybe you beat the you know lose to the Lightning and you beat the Panthers or something along those lines. I think that'll that'll be uh, a success. Uh, that that's a that's a tough road trip, man. Even when even when both those teams were bad, that's still a tough. That's a back. That's a tough back to back. You know, it's in Florida. It's a long trip and everything. So, so there's still an opportunity here to make this road trip really, really, really successful. But it starts in New Jersey, and you cannot let those guys. You can't give them an inch because they're just dying to knock the Islanders off. <laughs> I can tell you right now. Yeah, I think you you said right. You need two points. You probably want four points total from this. I think three is right. fine too, even if it's like two and then one. Or one one one, however it is, you know. I just like get, if the Islanders get to uh, fifteen points uh, from this road trip, it's a, I think it's a really really big uh, success. And uh, the 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 frustrating thing is like it the way these games have been just spaced out has been so irritating. More than I think when we look back on this road trip, everyone's going to focus on the sheer number of road games to start a year. Thirteen, you know, unprecedented. Whoa! Um, but for me, it's been the way the games have been uh kind of peppered in and out like they play they played on uh you know the back-to-back in minnesota and winnipeg and then it's three days off and then they play on thursday and then it's three days off and then they play monday tuesday and then it's three days off and then it's you know the home game it's just Mm. it's been so hard to kind of get into a rhythm it feels like every time they play it's almost like an nfl game it's like oh all week and then they play one game and then you're off for a week and then they play another it's it's very strange and uh kind of been what's been irritating me and um as a fan and i'm sure as a player you know, it's maybe it's nice to get some time off uh, in between games like this, but uh, they're not they're, they haven't like played into a normal rhythm yet of a season. Uh, so that's why I, that's what I think has been the most challenging part of the road trip generally. So getting 15 points from a 13 game road trip to open a season where the games are like this and you're playing teams from all over the continent uh, would just be a huge, huge uh, feather in the cap for Barry Trotz and the coaching staff. 
Um, and you know, it's it's they they just need to do it. They need to get at, collect a couple more points here. And it's frustrating too for you know us on the show because it's like, yep, good, but they've been good. Check, but mm-hmm. like we won't really know how successful this part of the schedule is until we get out of uh, Florida uh, next week because you know they could you know, knock out what they don't, they, they could lose three in a row. And these are tough games. Obviously you lose to Jersey and all of a sudden you're looking at a back-to-back against two of the best teams in the league. You're like, shit, this thing could go South. Like almost like the, this, how this, they played in Minnesota. Like, yep. The first two periods hanging in, they're doing well. And then the third period, it can still go to shit. And in, in, um, in the NHL and in hockey and in sports, just anything like that uh, can really sour uh, something that was looking so promising. Uh, but with the goaltending they have with the way that most of the, team is playing and like art was saying like the individual performances are at a level where you do feel confident that they should be able to 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 accomplish this goal and uh it it really is just an unbelievable job from the coaching staff uh we we talked before the season about how trot and lane lambert and lou and whoever is involved in these things is like planning for these kind of unique situations that have arisen through uh you know whether it be the pandemic the bubble and then last year and then this now this road trip, like they just are so good at, at managing these kind of situations and getting everyone on the same page to uh, maximize their efforts or whatever, uh, that it's, it really is something that we can't, we don't, and we can't take for granted just how well coached this team is and well looked after they are because uh, yeah. could you imagine, you know, Jack Capuano <laughs> and or Doug Waite in, or even like someone like Scott Gordon, Steve Sterling in the in the driver's seat for a 13 game road trip to start the season. I can't like it would get away from you, them so quick. You know what they would look like if you've ever seen the the classic uh, at the Easter Epic, ironically, of like when they're in the fourth overtime and Bill Clement has no his shirt off and the tie tied around his head. That's exactly what it would be <laughs> like the two of them <laughs> just, just like punch drunk, you know, Cappy at at the thing is like you know tie tied around his head and his, his hair is beard all grown out and be like i don't know what day is it where are we yeah, and, you know exactly so, yeah. like it's, it's just it's so funny that these you know they they for this part of the islander era like they just have the perfect coach for it and uh, i really i would yeah. love to hear like after after this road trip is over assuming it is you know <laughs> successful they get a couple more points here like how trots looked and i'm sure he'll tell he's so frank with the media too like and mm. i'm sure someone will ask him kind of to sum up the whole thing at the end uh, after they play when, whoever they close with in Florida, uh, you know, what his thoughts on planning for it were, because I'm, I'm interested just as, you know, as like him, he is like a pseudo life coach for me. So just be like, all right, like if I'm right. facing something like this and I'm like, I can't kind of see the light at, at the end of the tunnel, it looks kind of daunting. Like, how do I plan for it? And he'll just be like, well, you know, you stick to the protocol, you get pucks deep and make sure that you're not caught out mm-hmm. there for a long shift or something. But um, yeah, it's just mm-hmm. been they, so far, like, it's hard to say that it's been one of his best coaching moments as an Islander because there've just been so many good ones. Mm. Uh, but uh, it could end up being up there. Uh, could, you know, uh, seeing we'll, we'll see where we are next week. But uh, it's it's you just trust the guy so blindly. It's crazy. Yeah. Um. You know. It's yeah. It feels like an oral history waiting to happen <laughs> after this road trip is done. Maybe not this year. Maybe you know, fifteen years now, twenty years from now, but. I feel like there's an oral history of mm. like, you know, what happened, but I feel like, you know, they, none of the cool, none of the fun stories will come out of the trots camp because it'll be like, you know, <laughs> they got everybody kind of on their toes. But uh, yeah, you know, and I, and as much as I'd 
I hate to say this because we've talked about them enough already, but the uh, Panthers are or the Rangers are kind of putting a beating on the Panthers right now, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe Barry Trotz or Lou Lamorello was at the game and kind of scouting a little bit and see if they could find some kind of weakness to maybe help them out on uh, next Tuesday. But yeah, um, but yeah, this is so this is the three big games. You know, it's really the final stretch, and uh, you know, I don't look at the the opponents so much as like the opportunity to get points and and come into UBS with. Uh, with a good record and good feelings. And then, yeah, it's showtime <laughs> Saturday, the 20th, uh, the moment we've all been waiting for. And uh, we'll have the, a lot to say, I'm sure uh, after that game too. So uh, that's it for now. Um, you know, we'll be back, uh, I guess after the, the Panthers game, probably back uh, on our usual time next Wednesday. Uh, make sure you check out Arthur Stable's book, 100 things Islanders fans should know and do before they die. Again, check it out on Amazon, go to vintageicehockey.com. Uh, buy your t-shirts, hoodies, and mugs featuring over 100 classic hockey logos. Uh, I also want to mention the Pinot Project. We had a little uh, lunch uh, gathering with my in-laws this weekend, and we opened up the bottles that they sent us. And not only were they very, very tasty, but my brother-in-law said that he had had the Pinot Project before uh, in Manhattan. I said, well, those guys are Islanders fans, and so now you know. So whenever you go out and you buy you buy wine, make sure you buy the Pinot Project. Uh, and so uh, I'll read once again. If you're looking for a wine that tastes great and gives you a lot of bang for your buck, Drink the Pinot Project. Pinot Project makes delicious Pinot Noir, Pinot Grigio, and Rosé, all under $15 a bottle, and it will be served this season at the Islanders' new home at UBS Arena. Find the Pinot Project in your local wine shop and enjoy. And, uh, yeah, we did. So thanks, guys. <laughs> and uh, that's about it. Where can everybody find you on Twitter? The Big Lebowski with two E's. Follow Mike at The Big Lebowski. Uh, read Lighthouse Hockey every single day for your most up-to-date Islanders news and discussion. Uh, we got an extra long podcast this week because we got a couple of days off. So uh, enjoy <laughs> Thursday against the Devils. Hopefully goes the Islanders' way, and uh, as does their trip to Florida. Uh, this this weekend, no Islanders games, which is very weird. <laughs> so yeah. uh, if there was a movie you were catching. Hey, and listen, I saw Eternals yesterday. I loved it. I don't know if it's everybody's bag, you know, Everybody, most people like Marvel movies. I don't know if this is for everybody, but man, I loved it. It's just, it's very Jack Kirby. It's very strange. So if you're into like, you know, old timey Marvel comics shit, check it out. I mean, you should probably check it out anyway, but you got no no games to watch this weekend. So go see Eternals or see Dune either way. But if you're going to see Dune, see it in IMAX because that's the way it was meant to be seen. That's it, right? I guess there's nothing else. No, yeah. It's just the next time we'll be talking, we'll be previewing the trip to UBS Arena. My God. Yeah, I'm, I, I do. I want to spend. I will save it for next week, but I do want to yeah. spend some time kind of making predictions about who will be there and right. what kind of stunts they'll pull out or <laughs> stuff like what that. Kind of, what kind of what will kind Sparky of little... be there? Hopefully, yeah. he's still. He, we don't know if he's still employed because there was that time where he wasn't. And they no, I saw back. him. He was. No, uh... he's, as long as he's back, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But yeah, the last he... time was it the Barclays Center when they moved to Barclays, where they're like we're getting. All oh, right, yeah. He did yeah. survive. He, he did end up surviving that. Yeah. That, but he, oh. he kind of had to Lazarus his way back. <laughs> he's he's ensconced right now. Hopefully he doesn't get transformed into a horse or something because there's no <sighs> one. <laughs> be some some dark magic uh, going on there. But uh, yeah, he'll he'll be there. You know, we'll we'll keep an eye out for him and a bunch of other stuff as uh, UBS draws closer, if you can believe it. Uh, but we'll be back then, and uh, we'll talk to you after this next stretch of games. All right. Thanks a lot for listening, and we'll talk to you later. Bye bye. It's not